the St Albans Podcast Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. Hello. Welcome to the Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. How is it going, Susie? Very well, thank you. I'm fresh off a rehearsal, so oh. this is very exciting. Certain times you've got minute. You've got the drama vibes flowing through you. I have. Today we had a voice coach, so it was very exciting. That was really exciting. Actually, that, that links into something that I, I wanted to do a quick segment on the podcast. Uh, the common questions that people have for people who are on stage and w- within the drama world mm-hmm. um and I, I might kick off with that actually what's it like doing an accent like what what what, <laughs> what do they do with you to try and give you that accent you say you you were working with a voice coach what did they do yeah so we are so uh, I've, the play i'm in is called the Pitman painters which is based um around a group of miners from the ashington coal mine from which is near newcastle so me with my you know full quality home county accent need to turn geordie mm. uh so now we have a director who's from the area mm-hmm. so that helps but we had a full-on voice coach come in today and she was going through very standard kind of um different words and giving us sentences to use to practice so the word luke you say kook and book luke um and then we had to say have you seen my book i've looked but I can't find fight not like that. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that was that was good. And um, lots of different practice sentences. Would you like a drink? Would you like a Fanta or a water? <laughs> water. I'm I really a, like that. No, That's... I'd really like a. I, I really fancy a cider. Mm. I can't do. It. I sound Welsh. Anyway, working on it, guys. Um, how did you? Right back at you. Recently, you had to. Uh, be brummy didn't you yeah and actually the voice coach who um has just told me she's working on some netflix things said the hottest accent the americans are demanding to learn is brummy really peaky blinders yes it is peaky blinders and in fact um so the way that i learned it mostly was i watched the the whole series of peaky blinders (laughs) did you really um it, it, so afterwards, I was telling people about like, you know, I was in a play called Bingo, you know, I had to do a Birmingham accent and they were like, oh, well, I hope it wasn't like Peaky Blinders. It's terrible. And that I was like, that's what I based my that's entire exa- character off. That's the exact accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like it was a lot to do with that. Um, we also had a lady from uh, Birmingham come down. She spent a lot of time in St. Albans. So her normal like everyday accent wasn't brummy. Okay. Um, but she did say like, just say your lines and I'll tell you when you've got it wrong and that was quite excruciating yeah uh, so you just hit a wrong note and she'd be like say that again <laughs> and you'd be like oh I've forgotten what the, a, a brummy accent is now <laughs> so I, I think actually what we're both sort of skirting around is it's hard it's, it's really hard really really hard yeah I think it, I'm, what I'm trying to do is learn my lines and then I'm trying to relearn them in the accent mm. um, but we're working on it but I mean speaking of learning your lines this is a good question mm. how how do you approach learning your lines generally it's really interesting like I've I've gone through a lot of different processes like um, you know I, I've I was acted quite a lot um, as a child and so then I've always had my mum is just like an angel everyone who meets her says that she's an angel she's lovely she offered to babysit for me bless her she did i don't know what i don't think she knew what she was getting (laughs) into um but yeah she so i i learn lines a lot better when i'm interacting with um with other people like that's how my brain like switches on is if i'm speaking with people so i need to have someone else in the room that's delivering the lines Mm. with me and then that sort of switches my brain onto remembering mode. Um, I think when you've got dialogue, it's a lot easier to learn than any sort of monologues or, or the chunks mm. that are just you. Because the thing is that, if, especially if it's sort of more banter, I find mm. that easier to learn. And that, that you've got the rhythm to pick yes. up. Whereas what, it, the problem is with a monologue, you can go all the way through it. But if you mess yourself up, you've got no one else to dig you out of yes. it. Yes. Whereas um, I was in a play, uh, I won't actually name the play for fear of um, insulting someone, but I was in a play and there was a line missed uh, and I didn't get my cue, but because I knew where I had to get to and I also had the mental space because I wasn't speaking at the time, Mm. you can dig yourself out of it. Whereas with a monologue, you just, you're, you're sort of floundering a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's it. And I, I mean, almost a one play that I did a, um, 
audition for the scene we did an audition for was this kind of back and forth banter mm. and i remembered those lines almost from the audition piece because really? it was just not obviously word for word but um so okay so we've we've learned our lines and perfected our accents <laughs> it's time yeah. for the time to get on stage do you get stage fright i used to get stage fright really really badly mm-hmm. Um, and I, I still get it if I'm not confident in what I'm doing. So yeah. if I had to sing, I would be quite nervous. If I had to dance... If I had to sing, the audience should be nervous. <laughs> um, but actually, when I'm acting, if I feel like I know my ca- character well enough, I'm whatever that emotion that character is feeling in the first scene. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling nervous in the first scene, then it's quite a long time to be nervous yeah um but most of the time i'm able to just be in the character and, and it sort of bounce off me but what about you because you're like really new to, to this acting stuff Where, how is it for you do you get nervous i mean i love it no <laughs> i do get nervous. i i this is, get, this is weird so, uh, what, one of my um one of my friends said something quite wise to me uh a long time ago when i was nervous about a football match in fact um and he, he was like, are you nervous? And I said, yes. And he said, no, you're not nervous. You're excited. They're the same emotion. It's just how you think about it. So are you saying that you don't get nervous, you get excited? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to mess it up or anything, but I think I'm generally more excited because I just, mm. I get a, such a buzz off being on stage. It's I love so it. Good. I absolutely love it. Um, so I think it is, I'm lucky in that it's more excitement mm. for me. Um, let's take a pause on this. And we'll come back and discuss a little bit more. I am joined in the studio by Stephen Cunningham. Hello. Hello. Now, Stephen is interesting because you're Stephen Cunningham, but also Stephen Thomas. I'm actually Stephen Cunningham, but I, <laughs> I write as Stephen Thomas. Yes. So you've joined us today. You, now, there's, there's kind of two ways. You've joined us to tell us about um, Fugue, which yes. is on at the Maltings Arts Theatre. Next week. Next week. So that's the 17th to the 19th of October. Correct, yes. And, uh, but you, you're not only directing this... But you're the writer. I am the writer, yes. So I'm going to talk to you about writing first, okay. if I may. Yes. Um, so tell me, you've this is not your first play that you've written, is it? It's the first original play. Okay. I wrote an adaptation of Hamlet called Hold Off the Earth mm-hmm. um, for seven actors, uh, and two of those actors play Hamlet. Okay. So the soliloquies are recast as dialogues between the Hamlets. Okay. Which always made more sense to me. I don't know why... No one had ever done it before, really. But, Shakespeare um, missed a trick. Yeah, <laughs> much better now. <laughs> and you, that was done with um, that was with Ovo. Ovo as well, right? did it in 2016, mm-hmm. and I was in that production. Yeah, I played one of the Hamlets, but it was originally done by Peppermint Muse uh, two years before that in mm-hmm. 2014. They, they, okay, uh, I was involved. Um, one of the associate directors of the company. Fantastic. So it's been done a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. And it's due back next year, I think. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Where's that going to be? Uh, it'll be Ovo, oh, Ovo doing Blue. it again with Jan- uh, Janet Pod directing again. I don't know what role I will have yet. I'll, I'll have an eye on it. Do you get, do you get like to call dibs on that? I, I'm... I'm I like having dibs on casting. Yeah. <laughs> you like to have a say yeah. in it. Love yeah. this. <laughs> so then, um, so tell me about, um, you know, what kind of, what drew you to write? Have you always had sort of plays bubbling away in you? Yeah, I, I've I've wanted to be a writer since kind of my early teens, mm-hmm. um, but I could never really finish anything. I've, I've got loads, I always had loads of beginnings of things. Mm-hmm. Um, All plays or novels? Or? Uh, novels, stories, um writing music songs as well um so yeah just all this stuff i I, i'm not really much of a finisher um that's an artistic trait isn't it yeah (laughs) lots of ideas i'll I'll write the first 15 pages of a play really Mm. really quickly in an afternoon yeah and then it'll stop Maybe that, Maybe could, be, that could be your theme. It could be like yeah. the unfinished Unfinished plays. plays. Here's my collection of unfinished <laughs> plays. Enjoy. You know, you get yeah. to that point and then the audience has to decide yeah. for themselves. So, uh, yeah, Fugue is the first original thing I finished. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took me by surprise, really. Um, I'd got to the age of 41. This was five years ago. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, maybe you're not going to be a writer, Steve. Maybe that's not your thing. Mm. And Fugue just kind of happened out of nowhere. Okay. I, I kind of saw it, I knew exactly what it was, what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And 
it was like the writing it was like di- taking dictation and i actually heard it? these women speaking i, I just say, wrote, wrote it down it was really strange so you wrote it as a script you know kind of straight off like like that yeah, or did you plot I, out the story first no i don't plot <laughs> that's no fun um I had an. I was looking at another script, and there was just mm. one line in this fragment of a play I had, and the idea of few. I just read it, and the idea of few came to me. A completely different play. I mm-hmm. don't know what the connection was, and I had a sense of what it was, and I spent about two hours scrib- furiously scribbling as many notes as I could mm-hmm. about the whole thing, any yeah. thought that came into my head, and then I immediately started writing the first scene and the first seven or eight pages came out in two hours wow and, and i never stopped it took me i wrote three quarters of the play in about three weeks and do you tweak it once it's out do you oh, do you yes. then tweak it it's, it's a yeah, work in I, progress I, I kind of i always say that i wrote it very quickly and then very slowly <laughs> so first draft in total took me about three four weeks yeah I had a big gap where I kind of abandoned it. Mm-hmm. I had the end, but I didn't know how to get there. So I came back to it later yeah. and, and realized, oh, it's that. I'm going to do that. Okay, yeah. so I connected it all up. Um, but yes, that's the first draft. I gave it to some friends. Got some. I didn't really know if it was any good, if it was even a play. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite strange. Yeah. Had some great feedback from some people I respect and had a, a friend of mine, Derek Coe, uh, who's does lots of acting mm-hmm. in lots of people will know who he is uh he was the first person to read it and he directed a new view reading at the company of 10 okay oh, four years ago i wasn't allowed into rehearsals oh no yeah oh the pressure so i saw it so we sat in the club room yeah uh, at the company of 10 which is not the most atmospheric room no i've know? seen a new view there yeah i've, I've seen so that you've got no, you've got no lights yeah you've got no sound you got yeah. and, and the scripts are in hand yeah and they had about, I think, four short-ish rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw it for the first time with the audience. Okay. Yeah, it was terrifying. And how did, did was it exciting? It was really exciting as well. Um, particularly exciting because the, the two people I had in that reading mm. uh, were the two people I wrote it for. Oh, great. But okay, I, so you I had those I had them in mind. mind as I was writing it. Amazing. And they both agreed to do it, which is great. That's and great. one of them is in the production in it now. next week. That's very exciting. Great. Yeah. Well, let's um, we'll come back to you in just a moment, Stephen, and you can tell us more about the production itself. Great. Thank you. Hi there. I'm here with Lily Prowse uh, of Dealing with Claire fame. How is it going? Yeah, really well, thank you. And so who are you playing in Dealing with Claire? I am playing Claire. Uh, she is an estate agent who is trying to work between a couple and a gentleman that's trying to sell and buy houses between them. And there's a lot of tension in the play. Mm. It builds up, which is really great. And it's kind of around the property boom as well, for a bit of context, um, when house prices were going up and things became difficult in terms of you know getting the right price so yeah i'm the estate agent nice and so how did you prepare for the role did you go out and sell some houses uh no i didn't actually um we did have a contextual chat beforehand um Mm. we looked into the kind of 1970s um property boom but this is a bit more modernized than that but it's the same kind of concept um how i prepare i usually do some character analysis i work out what i get from the text what do i know about my character qualities what how do other people describe me to work out what my characteristics are like um but with this one because it's a martin crimp play it's quite a lot on technique and the pacing and how he builds the tension Mm. by the silences and things like that so i worked a lot on my breathing and on when to take the appropriate pauses and maybe different notes and how to say different lines to get a different context to it. So how did you build in that breathing? That's really interesting. Were you like annotating your script to the point where you're saying, you know, I breathe after this line? Well, actually, he leaves quite big gaps where he wants a long pause Mm. um, or there'll be a complete change in sentence in the type of word that he'll use. It won't be a flowing sentence. It will be... um, so I was thinking about this house, obviously, undeniably, and it will jump around. So that is, is where I play with doing different notes. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, some of the sentences can be really long. <laughs> so I guess just from practicing and realizing, OK, I can't finish that sentence. I mm. need to take another breath somewhere there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and so, you know, this is um, 
a line, a row with a, a lot of lines and a lot of long lines. How do you end up preparing for those lines? How, how do you learn your lines? Well, I like to read the play a couple of times, but what I'll do is I actually record my scenes, but I'll record the other characters' lines and then leave gaps for my lines so that whenever I'm walking around the house, I can just play it in my headphones mm. and it's as if I'm acting the scene. So I'll be doing the washing up and then I'll say my lines in the gaps that I've left. Um, so I quite enjoy that as a technique. And so if no, someone's in the house and they don't know what you're doing, then that <laughs> yeah. must be pretty terrifying. Yeah, they always think I'm on the phone or I'm talking to someone. Oh, who are you talking to? I was like, no, I'm, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> and the response is in my own voice. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's quite uh, funny. And so have you had any training? Um, you know, ha have you trained a a anywhere in any capacity? You know, did you do any training at school or anything like that? Um, well, I did a, a drama A-level and a GCSE. Um, however, I've done some courses in London at the Monobox. So the Meisner Technique, uh, picking up some script work and, and trying to work with directors or people as and when I can, picking up skills. Um, I'm applying for drama school at the moment, choosing between a BA and an MA, uh, which I applied for last year, but unfortunately didn't get on. So uh, I'm hoping for better luck crossed. this year. Yes. <laughs> um, and is there anything that you would like to see more of in local theatre? Or is there a particular play that you would like to be put on or, you know, some, something with a particular theme that you'd like to see? Mm. Well, I like a lot of physical theatre. I went to Edinburgh Fringe this year and I saw a lot of yeah, physical theatre and dance involved or technical things, um, using materials to move around to show symbols of like the time moving, stuff like that. So quite modern. I, I enjoy that. I think that would be great to bring about that kind of physical aspect to, to performances as well. And so I suppose perhaps linking, linking into that, how do you find the studio at the Abbey Theatre? Because it's a very intimate space and you're very close to the audience. Absolutely. I mean, I have done one play here before, which was Modern Dance for Beginners, which was great. But when I first came out onto set, I was aware there was going to be audience and I could see their faces, but I didn't estimate for their legs being like an extra <laughs> two foot out. And so you feel really... Um, enclosed but I think what's great with this play is that because of the tension that's needed and the suspense that's built it's kind of a bit of a thriller mm. it's a bit mysterious um, and I think we want the audience to be a little on edge and guessing and not knowing what's going to happen next so I think that lends itself perfectly being the intimate space I think it works well brilliant and um, what techniques do you have what do you have any pre-show rituals you know how how do you do it on the night Oh, well, I always get nervous, but I think if you're not nervous for me, that's a bad sign. So, um, mm. yeah, I always do like a physical warm up. Um, I try to get everyone together in a group and we might do some line exercises where someone will just say a random line from a random scene. And then you have to continue with that scene until someone else jumps in with a different line, mm -hmm. because that way you're on your toes. You're really listening. You're really aware. Um, yeah. So I'll do that. And a few minutes before, just be backstage and breathing, try and calm myself down a bit. <laughs> Brilliant. And the, all of the details for um, the tickets to Dealing With Claire are on the podcast page, so you can find it there. Yes. Uh, and it is on for the next two weeks. Yeah, from the 11th to the 19th of October. And um, there is also a matinee as well. So have a look on, on your website or the Abbey Theatre website for tickets. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> I'm joined now in the studio by Guy Peskin from the Pump House Theatre Company. Hello. Hi, Susie. Thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about the Pump House Theatre Company. Well, the Pump House Theatre Company, which is in the sort of lower part of the high street in Watford, mm -hmm. has, has been uh, around for about 50 years, not quite 50 years, but the early 70s. Um, and I haven't been on there all that time not all of the time obviously <laughs> no no <laughs> uh, but I have been probably since 1990s so that's okay. sort of 30 years so it's based in the, the theatre company operates mainly in the pump house theatre itself yeah, yes indeed and that is that's right as you sort of mentioned it's, it's really close to the overground stations the Watford High Street overground yep. but it's a walk so we're obviously based in St Albans but it's not a long walk from the Abbey Flyer you know no, Watford Junction no, it's, it's very a, easy to get to 10 or 15 minute walk at the most um, but you, and also you can get the train to Bushy Station, mm -hmm. which is uh, 
probably a five minute walk okay so there's a double edge either Watford Junction or Bushy and I drove over when I came over to see 17 which people can hear about on a previous podcast we feel free to look back at that Um, and it's really easy to get to um, and park and everything as well there is a car park Mm. like anywhere these days parking can be an issue (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah no it's it's been around there it was an old pumping station right um i'm gonna guess victorian times yeah i don't know that for a fact um uh, but was turned into an art center yeah during the 70s it's a lovely venue yeah and it's not just theater mm-hmm. there are folk clubs jazz clubs blues clubs uh open mic nights um which are separate to the theater company yeah. which which i represent so you're chairman of the theatre company. Y- yes, needs must. <laughs> tell me about tell me about the theatre company. What kinds of things do you like to do? Do you do a bit of everything? We try to do a bit of everything. Um, in this day and age, a lot of it comes down to bums on seats mm-hmm. and and trying to. I think most theatre companies will try and do things that they like to do, yeah. which might not necessarily be the biggest audience pu- uh, pullers because mm-hmm. uh, maybe people don't know it or. Um, as opposed to doing what we have done in the recent years is quite a lot of the 1980s sitcoms like Dad's Army, yeah. uh, Hello, Hello, Vicar of Dibley, etc. Nice. Um, which do bring in crowds. We we don't tend to do musicals, so we tend to talking about plays. Yeah. But we do like to push the boundaries with productions, and that we've done fairly recently. You mentioned 17. Yes, yeah, we, we enjoyed th- 17. I think that was a UK amateur debut for that show wow okay um uh and we do a quite a range so we just done before that in june uh an alan Aitborn, which is a six, mm. 1960s 1970s romp mm-hmm. but before that we did martin madonna's the pillow man which again is a very brutal production a yeah. very brutal play uh, addressing lots of issues uh, some quite uncomfortable actually and um, what do you find so we we talked very briefly before and you just mentioned it you know bringing the bums on seats getting the audience in the door what are the kinds of things that people want to see do you think i wish i knew <laughs> um i guess in the musical theater world the shows tend to go round in in uh, in a loop or certainly when spam a lot came out a couple of years ago everybody's done spam yeah, a lot of course. And, uh, and now they're they're looking at um, I, I, I can't think what the, what the one sister act is oh that, yeah which, which course, Watford yeah. Watford are doing and uh, St Albans are, are very hairspray mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. but in the theatre you've got a much wider choice yeah um, we are a artistic creative mm. theatre company and yes I guess it sounds a bit pretentious when you say I like to push the bounds but that's what we try and yeah. do particularly with the play we're going to talk about in a while called Endgame by Samuel Beckett yes. which is Theatre of the Absurd yeah. whatever, whatever that means and it's I mean it's, it's interesting because I think what I've seen from you know that having gone to a lot more performances luckily you know since we've been doing the podcast with Ben it's it, there's a real mixture in you know what does fill up an audience and what doesn't I mean I was in um I actually was in the vagina monologues um, oh, a year or so ago. I talk about it all the time. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Um, but that filled up the auditorium. And I think it's because it's, you know, again, in local theatre, you don't, it doesn't come around that often. Every February they release the rights and it really got the, you know, people in. It's you know, sold out for the three shows. Um, but that's not the norm, I think, you know, no, in the I local theatre. I think it's the other way normally. Mm. People don't know something. They're a bit reticent. It's a bit like choosing something to watch on the telly. Yeah. If if you know it or it's something you've seen, you and latch onto, you yeah. do it, and that's why all, yeah. the, all the serial, uh, the uh, Coronation Streets and Emmerdale's, you know, get regular viewers every night. Yes, yeah, for 30, 40 years. Yeah, um, but but challenging theatre is it? People are I won't say snobby, but they they're a bit reticent, and particularly they might just say this isn't my bag of bones. I think one of the, one of my kind of assumptions about it um, that we've talked about in the podcast before is that I don't think people know how good the local theatre is I think especially where we are with with such easy access to London Mm -hmm. and people think I go to the theatre they go to see the big names on the big stage 
but actually we've got such great talent locally yeah and, ch- and much cheaper i mean okay we're, we're not professional shows and all the gizmos mm. and staging that goes with it yeah but i mean the staging's not bad i mean if you no. look at let's talk about 17 again yep. given that we've just seen it the stage you know i saw the the photos of the stage when it was at the national and you know the stage wasn't that different it was a you know a metal based okay they had sort of more of like a roller coaster looking climbing but it was still a metal climbing frame and you had a metal the the play called for it to be dark again you'd look at the vagina monologues the whole thing of staging that is that it's a dark bare stage with just a chair so you know you're not talking about you don't need bells and whistles necessarily no no and and quite a lot in our world now in particularly in the home counties uh, quite a lot of our members are ex-professional mm. or certainly come out of theatre or drama school yeah well lovely this is great so we're going to be back with guy just in a moment to talk more about endgame thank you so much ben and i are back and we had more questions. We were talking about what it's like to be an actor because mm-hmm. we're so professional. Um, and we had some more questions. So we were talking about learning lines and accents and um, stage fright. Um, so have you had actually any professional training? I haven't, no. Um, I've had... I, I'm very lucky in that I've had some really good drama teachers mm. over the course of my life. Um, and there, there's still times where, you know, I'll, I'll just be staring into space and thinking about a lesson that one of my drama teachers taught me. Like... There, there was an activity that I did called the bus stop game where you sort of you sit there and you wait at a bus stop and it's a really interesting experience as an audience member because whenever the uh, person on stage tries to be realistic it looks so phony okay and if you just sort of stand there and be still and put, put your mind out of your you know out the window then suddenly it becomes so much more intriguing and you think you know what, what are they thinking about and and those sort of things so no, I've had no training, but I, I often daydream about the, the lessons that I've learned. <laughs> what about you? No, I mean, I've had no um, professional training, which is, I'm sure, is shocking to anyone who's seen me, you know, not at all. Um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting because one of the things that I find very intimidating going to the local theatre is seeing just how much training a lot of people have mm. had. Um, and so I definitely try and absorb as much as I can from the people around me. Um, and, you know, there's there's such an array of experience going on. But I think it's quite nice that you can get into it in the way that we both have without necessarily having that and mm. being able to kind of pick it up. Um, yeah, so, I mean, what other questions do people kind of quite often ask you? I, I think there's, there's quite often um, a lot of questions around costume so what's oh, it yeah. like getting fitted for a costume what is it like getting fitted for a costume because like you know this will be my first experience again of like you know being kind of professionally dressed I really guess. yeah so um yeah. oh there the, the, are a couple of costumes apartments that i've had that it's always a really interesting experience depending on what the costume person has in mind for you mm-hmm. uh and you do get people who are really really specific and it's like no, you can't have your hat at that specific angle. Really? Because that is not the style, you know, 30 years later, in the if the play was set 30 years later, you could have your hat at that angle. But no, actually, the fashion was this at the time, which is really, really specific. And then you also have the, the other costumers who say, look, I would prefer that you're comfortable. Tell me what the character would do. Yeah. Um, so it is funny that, like, they are also part of the... Um, the whole process yeah they're they're part of the creativity Mm. i suppose i think that's um i mean i definitely when uh you know i've sort of been around before and um and sort of seen in the wardrobe department and there was sort of loads of books of um this is done the abbey theater they've got books and books of you know styles from the 70s or you know 60s whatever era it is and i remember them saying you know well you've got to be careful because you know if if the place set in you know 71 72 the style is the 60s because that hadn't Mm. you know the 70s style as it was hadn't kicked in by then i thought I mean, that's probably really obvious to everyone else, but I hadn't thought of that. Mm. <laughs> and of course, if it's set in the 2000s, it's the 80s again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Okay. Well, why don't we... Do you do, Have you got another question? Well, I was going to say, if, if anyone else has got the questions, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't matter how big or how small uh, about getting involved, being an actor, being backstage, anything, we will endeavour to find out for you. Yeah. So you can email me at ben at stalbumspodcast.com. Or me at St. Susie. <laughs> That's my name, <laughs> Susie at stalbumspodcast.com. 
Uh, and we will try and find the answers to your questions. Hello, I'm Simon Carver. Join me and Danny Smith on our new podcast, The St Albans Film Guide. Each week we'll be looking at what's on at the cinema, the top ten, new releases, and also what's on TV over the coming week on all the free-to-air channels. Now, if you want to find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, you can go to stalbanspodcast.com to find out more. So that's The Film Guide with me, Simon Carver, part of The St Albans Podcast in association with The Hearts Advertiser. I'm back now with Stephen Cunningham, um, and we um, we've just been talking about your life as a writer, yes. and you've written Fugue, which is going to be um, performed by OVO at the Maltings Arts Theatre, seventeenth to the nineteenth of October. That's right. Yeah. Um, and if people want to buy tickets, um, in the show notes for the podcast, you'll see the link. It will be there. It'll direct you straight to those tickets, so we don't need to worry. That's sanalbanspodcast.com. So you don't need to worry about lots of different email website addresses. We try and keep it simple. Nice. Um, but tell us, so let's talk about the play itself. Mm. What is Fugue about? <laughs> That's always a question I dread <laughs> being asked. <laughs> because it's a strange little play. If you are, if you like a plot, you, you, you might be sorely disappointed. Interesting. Uh, it's not plot driven. Okay. I'll just say that right now. Um, I'll try to summarise it. So I mean, I'll give in, you a sense the, of what it is. In the tagline, it says um, an exploration of a life unmoored by loss. Yes. Right? Yes. So, it, you know, it sounds, you know, what does that even mean? It's, it came, I'll tell you where it came hmm. from, actually, that, that might help. Um, it, it was kind of, it merged out of a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a personal trauma i guess mm-hmm. which i won't go into but it was and it's not about that experience but it's deeply informed by it okay so i think fugue was an attempt i think to kind of give some form mm-hmm. to how i felt about what had happened yeah like i kind of needed to make something out of it um but it wasn't i, I didn't write it you know consciously thinking oh it's mm. it's about this it was it's much more kind of it was much looser yeah. than that. Um, now I can give you a, a kind of summary of of, of the play. Mm. Um, so it um, comprises two scenes, two very different but linked scenes. Okay. And they're very important that they're linked. Um, the first scene uh, happens in Leah's kitchen. Um, she is preparing for what she calls some kind of occasion, this, mm-hmm. some kind of surprise. Probably a party, but she doesn't seem to have much of an idea what it is or who okay. it's for. Um, and then her younger sister, Erin, turns mm-hmm. up unexpectedly. And her presence there is a little bit mysterious. They haven't seen each other for years and years and years. Um, and Leah paints this portrait of this kind of idyllic lifestyle. Uh, this wonderful husband... He's just incredible, mm-hmm. and he's two children, and everything's just perfect. But Erin just keeps digging away and kind of picking away and picking away, mm-hmm. and gradually over this the course of the first scene, everything just kind of this whole picture kind of just right. unravels, right? And you're left in a very different place than than, than where it started. Um, the second scene, and is this sorry, is there an interval mm, point in this, or does it run? There's no interval. Mm. It's, it's important that it needs to run all yeah. the way through. It's not a long play; it's about an hour fifteen. Mm-hmm. So there's a little kind of transition scene, right. a couple of minutes. I'm still working out what, how we do that <laughs> transition. That's yeah. tomorrow's job. Um, so we go, move, we move into scene two, which is set kind of four thousand miles away in Erin's cabin, so the sister from scene mm-hmm. one, in her cabin on the shore of this kind of huge frozen Canadian lake. Erin's mm-hmm. mother, Laura, comes to visit Erin every year on Erin's birthday, and on this occasion she's come to tell Erin that her father's died. Right. So in, in scene one, it's I suppose it's the situation which is very strange, mm. and we're kind of puzzling out what's actually going on here. In scene two, it's really the relationship which is the puzzle mm. between these two women, mother and daughter. It's a it's a profoundly troubled and troubling relationship, and the scene kind of just digs away at that little a little bit. And I hope, I hope, uh, by the end of it, we have a bit of an inkling about why they are the way they are. Right. 
Okay. So the scenes are linked in various ways. You know, uh, some of Leah's lines in scene one are repeated by Laura in scene two. Interesting. Okay. Images recur across mm-hmm. the scene, echo across between the scenes. Uh, Leah's husband and Laura's husband have the same name. Okay. Um, but so all these little things. Mm. But then the expi- there is an explicit link between them, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen until towards the end of mm. scene two. Um, but even then, it doesn't entirely resolve everything. It, it's not a play that wraps everything up in a bow and says, "Yeah, this is you're going to be is. left wondering." Yeah. I, as an audience member, I love sort of watching a play and going, "What was that?" Yeah, and taking it away with me and, and thinking about it. And that's yeah. the kind of theatre I like. So that's a, yeah, it's interesting. I think, and you know, we you know when we come along, we're fortunate enough come to see it. So uh, Ben and I will be reviewing uh, on the podcast, and what we do is talk to the audience after. Ooh. And I think where you get these I won't plays, be to no, that one. of course you will. Um, <laughs> where you get the plays where you've left, where it's very interesting talking to the audience after because quite often people are just very nice. Oh, I really yeah. enjoyed that. It was really good. And where you get these ones where they're about open people are like well this is what i think what do you think mm. and you actually have quite a good uh, chat ha- through how i think of it and what i remember when i was writing it I, I was thinking of it almost as a piece of music so you know when we see a play we say what's it about mm-hmm. it's your first question to me what is it about well do we ask that about a symphony or mm-hmm. a piano sonata we don't ask what it's about we experience it yeah okay um so my hope is, you know, if as an audience member you are puzzled by what's going on, that's okay. Mm. It's deliberate. That's kind of the point. That's nice, yeah. Um, but I hope, I, I think of it as, as, I hope it affects people in the way maybe a piece of music might, mm. you know. So we, we, we may not consciously understand exactly what's going on, mm. but we feel something. Yeah. That, that, that's the important thing for me. Okay. Yeah. Exciting. So tell me about, you know, so obviously you've written this, now you're directing it. Yes. Okay. How, how does that feel? I mean, we talked about you, you've kind of got <coughs> a separate writing name, nom de plume, if you will. Yes. Um, but do you, do you separate out writer and director? As you're directing it, do you tweak, make tweaks? I have been tweaking it. Well, it's been interesting, actually, directing uh, I I would have preferred someone else to direct it. Right. Uh, and to be in the room as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um but when you write a play and you're also a director, directing becomes an extension of the writing mm. process. It's the same thing. It's just the next stage. Yeah. It's making it real. Then. Yes. Um, but you come to it with a very different mindset. I was worried that I might be too close to it, mm. that I might not be objective enough. Yeah. But actually, no, I wrote it five years ago mm. and I'm in a very different place now. And it's just been, I was kind of terrified of doing it, but it's just been fun. I, I haven't had this much fun in a rehearsal room for ever, I don't think. It's just been really, really good fun. So, yeah, I mean, cutting lines with no problem at all. It's like, yeah, yeah that's not working. Gone. Yeah. You know, I'm not pressured yeah. about it at all. But the really interesting thing about directing as opposed to writing is, is not the lines. It's the other stuff because directing is so practical. Mm. It's a really practical job. Um, you know, you're building something in a room is what you're doing. Yeah. And so it, it, I'll give you an example. In the script, in scene one, Leah is peeling vegetables for this party yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and as a director, I realized, well, I, I can't have vegetable peelings in scene two. Okay, yeah. Yeah? And the, the, the yeah. floor's going to be covered in vegetable peelings. Yeah. So, okay, th- there's no elegant way to get rid of it without a scene change in a yes. blackout and I don't do scene changes in blackouts I, I can't stand <laughs> them um, so I came up with a different solution she's not peeling vegetables she's peeling something that you shouldn't really try peeling interesting so I'm going to leave it, it and, but it's much more interesting it's much stranger mm. so immediately as soon as the play starts you go there's something wrong yeah yeah um but and it's just more in keeping, I think, with the spirit of the play yeah, as well. Okay. So writer me wouldn't have thought of that. No. But to director me, it was blindingly obvious that we need to do yeah. that instead. Yeah. Brilliant. We'll look forward to it. Thank you so much for coming to tell us about oh, it. Real pleasure. So Thank you for having me on. Fugues on Maltings Arts Theatre, 17th to 19th of October. And uh, tune back into a podcast in uh, two weeks where we'll be reviewing it. Dun, dun, dun. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Front Page Frankie, intrepid reporter for the Hearts Advertiser. Join me and host Danny Smith for the St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as delving into the biggest local stories, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm, and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for The St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. So I'm here with Georgia of Dealing With Claire fame. from And also multitude of other plays. Um... So, who are you playing in Dealing With Claire? I am playing Liz. She is one of the vendors. And what sort of uh, person is Liz? Uh, pretty stone-cold and heartless, I have to say. She's, uh, she's married to Mike, and they have a, a very young baby, about six months. And there is not a lot of love shown between her or anyone else, really. And they're, uh, they're seeing how far they can push with money for the house. So, really, it's a... When it comes to Liz and Mike, it's a question of... How much money can you get and still call yourself a moral person? <laughs> um, and so you, you said she's very stony. How did you prepare for this role? Well, personally, I actually prepared physically more than psychologically. So I started with looking at how she'd move, her mannerisms, her little fidgets. We picked up on a lot of the way the way she speaks in the text suggests that she's quite fidgety, quite neurotic. And so we started working with that and from being in that kind of body, moving in that way, I kind of picked up the, the mindset and the way she thinks and the way she processes things. So I started on the outside and worked my way in. So that's a very sort of like, um, I suppose, artistic way to look <laughs> at it. In terms of the technical side, how did you uh, come to learning your lines? Ooh. Do you have like a special technique that you use? Or? Yes, I pester my friends and my parents to run my lines with me over and over and over. And I go back to that technique that we're taught when we're in reception or year one, where you look and then you cover and then you say it out loud. And but that's I only do that if I can't get someone to help me with them because it's just repetition that gets it for me. It's a very boring way of doing it, but it's the only way that works. <laughs> So what, what level of training have you had so far? You know, where, where, where have you trained, have you trained uh, to prepare you for this role and, you know, get you into the theatre scene? So I actually did a couple of years with Mount View's Young Performers Company and then did a further year training with them. So I've got a good kind of professional training background, working with a lot of brilliant, brilliant teachers from the industry who work in it now or have worked in it in the past. So basically, whatever I'm doing, whatever level I'm at, I will always call on that training to get me through, get me, get me to think about things. <laughs> So you're performing in the studio at the Abbey Theatre, which is a bit different to the main stage. How do you find working in the studio? Because it's very intimate. You're very close to the audience. So I actually sort of prefer working in the studio to working in a big theatre because, I mean, something that I've picked up along my my time in theatre is that I really enjoy kind of the intimacy that you get in a studio. You don't really have the opportunity to hide anywhere. There's no sort of theatre magic is just everything has to be quite honest quite natural from the heart and you get that sense of being so close to the audience that you're reacting off a natural human feeling all of the time rather than saying relying on a really big set or really elaborate props it's just the bare minimum and it's just stripped down to the real truth of it which is what I find quite exciting. And when you're getting ready for the show on the night, would you have any pre-show rituals? What do you do to get yourself into character, you know, right before you're about to get on stage? So uh, the other cast are mocking me for this because I have loads of them. So I have like an hour and a half warm up that I like to do in the space, breathing, warming up, warming up my voice, warming up my body. But then right before I get on stage, this is, this weirds everyone out, but I like pummel my feet because it makes you feel like really grounded and like you're really connected with the space. And I think that's really important in the studio. So you like punch yourself in the feet? Not quite punch, more like a really intense massage. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do a spinal roll because it makes you feel like connected and then you mm. breathe properly and you're standing properly. And then just before I get on, I just shake everything. So I shake out everything which could possibly still be Georgia and just bring Liz in. Really yeah. interesting. Everyone's laughing at me for that at the moment and I'm <laughs> just letting them laugh. It's fine, it's my thing. Awesome, thanks for talking to me. Lovely, thanks for your time, Ben. 
Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. Join us on the Podful of Saints, a St Albans City Football Club fan podcast. Each week during this football season, we shall be taking a look at the Saints' recent games and our upcoming matches. We have guests all during the season, and we also take a look at what is going on elsewhere in National League South. We end each week with a bit of fun with a Jake Predictor machine. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalwartspodcast.com forward slash Saints Podcast to find out more. That's a Podfellow Saints with Jake and Dave, part of the St Albans Podcast. In association with the Hearts Advertiser. We're back now with Guy Peskin from the Pump House Theatre Company. Now, we've talked a bit about the theatre company. Tell me about uh, Samuel Beckett's Endgame, which is your upcoming performance. I, I, you can probably tell in my voice I've got a slight wry smile. <laughs> A uh, challenging masterpiece, rarely performed, are words not necessarily in the right order, <laughs> but they, it is one of Samuel Beckett's uh, classics. It follows on from the, I think the more popular one was Waiting for Godot. It sounds like, I mean, I've not seen Endgame. I know about it. It's pretty dark. It sounds like fairly, you know, the themes seem kind of similar in that it's this kind of cyclical, you know, what actually happens. Yes, (laughs) what could happen, what happened. Um, As as Just on an aside, we talked about uh, professional theatre a few moments ago. Um, Endgame is... Uh, opening in the Royal Court, I think it is in January, with okay. Daniel Radcliffe okay. and Alan Cummings. Right. So, yeah, I'm quite surprised we've actually got the, the license to do it. Yeah. Actually. No pressure as a prelude. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're quite there. <laughs> <laughs> so but, you're, and let's take a second. Cause it's on from the 18th to the 23rd of November yep. at the Pump House Theatre in Watford. We will have a link to that on the notes for the show. So we'll yes. have a link through. You can click on that and uh, and find your tickets and find more information. Um, and that is on St. Um So you're in this one, aren't you? Yes. Which is your character? Ham. Okay. Now, Ham, usually with acting, sounds uh, <laughs> not the best, but he's, he's the central character in as much as he sits throughout the whole play, centre stage, he can't see, he can't walk. So he sits. Uh, he has a servant, a male servant uh-huh. called Clov, who can't sit down. Right. So, uh, and upstage of... Uh, ham through the play is mm-hmm. two dustbins mm-hmm. where his parents live of course uh, <laughs> nag and nell and uh, i believe they have no legs that's right they have right. stumps um i mean like you know, without even getting into the plot this is pretty dark yes it is um and i'm glad you said not to get too much into the plot <laughs> what it is we find these characters in what one might call a bunker or, or a refuge or mm-hmm. a room, um, we don't know when. Mm-hmm. There's no time on it. It could okay. be it could be yesterday. It could have been two hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, and there's two windows where something outside has happened. Maybe apocalyptic. Maybe a war-torn area. We don't know. Even when the play's finished, we don't know. Okay. And it's. In a way, the play is about putting characters in these situations with the normal things of life, like routine. Yeah. And how you do things the same every day, maybe for pretty well all your life. Yeah. Ham, particularly, is a, not a pleasant character. And yeah. He uses his servant, who may or actually is his son, um, but he treats him like a dog. Right. Um, and they go through the same routine every day of bitching um, him barking orders out mm-hmm. uh, and indeed the similar to his parents in the bin now tell me about so i mean your character has to sit for this play what's the biggest challenge about being so physically restricted because acting is normally a very even some talking to you we're sort of you know waving yeah, arms around and well I, i'm not paralyzed and so but i don't get up right but the harder thing isn't the sitting it's the hardest is being blind with what i call steampunk glasses okay um and not seeing anything Mm -hmm. so you really can't see uh, or limited limited Mm. 
Uh, we're in rehearsal at the moment. I've got glasses that go over the, so I can read the script. <laughs> but uh, coming to do it, when you normally do a show, as, as you mm-hmm. know, Susie, you can look at somebody and you react off that. Here, there's nothing to react off. Right, And yeah. if I think about it too much, I might not actually get on and do it <laughs> because it's quite an insular thing, yeah. a very insular thing. Yeah. Um, and you're sitting looking at the audience. Yeah. Which... I don't know, we might even have to black the glasses out even more so they don't see my eyes. So, I mean, this is also, it sounds also dark and it's, you know, it's a bit peculiar. Why do people want to come and see this? Well, that's, the, the, the selling point in it is, is it is a challenging piece of theatre, mm. both for a cast and um, an audience, but it does have humour in it. Yeah. It was written in the l- late 1950s. We think it's a reaction maybe to the war. Okay, yeah. Um, Sam and Waiting for Godot was before that mm-hmm. in, the, in the early 50s I believe um, it's the absurdity of the situation mm-hmm. it's about human responses and even the play is presented almost like a play yeah um, I'm like a narrator but mm. I, I don't step out to narrate to the audience yeah but it does I think it's wonderful. It looks great. Yes. I don't. Uh, maybe not gothic's the right word, but it'll have this sort of theatricality about it. Mm. The characters are very melodramatic. Um, it is Samuel Beckett. Now, waiting for Godot. People don't know what that is really about. Yeah. Like waiting for the, yeah. <laughs> the, the inevitable. Yes. But those in, those something about those characters, Vladimir and Estragon, I think they're called. Mm. They. You, you tend to want to know what they're waiting for. Yes. This is gloomier, but in a sense, you want to know what these guys are waiting for. Yes. Ham and Clov. And this, the servant actually tries to leave throughout the play. Okay. And at the end, we think he does. We but think. We, we don't know. Okay. So there's the, there's the thing. Yes. So it's, I mean, it feels to me there's there's a few things that I've been kind of watching. I, I really love sort of the post-apocalyptic, you know, like genre when it comes to books and it comes to movies, things like that. Um, and I was watching uh, one called I Am Mother. Um, oh, yeah. That's a Netflix one yeah. that's been out probably ages ago. I'm always behind with those. Oh. Um, but again, it's that you, you don't know what's happened. You just know that something's happened and you don't know why things are the way they are and i quite like that it's quite intriguing and i think that the fact that it's kind of timeless as well is, is really yes interesting. And, and you don't get involved in who done it no and why they did it, it. just is it it, it it just what is mm. um i think that's a different that that is a selling point in a, in a funny way yeah we're not trying to do an agatha christie where you know the, the murderer came down the chimney or, or whatever <laughs> i knew it <laughs> lovely well thank you so much for coming to talk to us about it Pleasure. guy Pleasure. so that is um endgame by samuel beckett which is on at the pump house theater in watford on the 18th to the 23rd of november uh you can find the link to tickets it's about oh, what's one more question about 80 minutes right m- m- 80 Give or take. T- at the moment it's 90 minutes <laughs> uh, but it's a non-interval it's a straight it's a, through it's in we effect a, in a one act play yeah so you can have a drink afterwards lovely and, love that. and try and work it out that's it and have a chat with the cast after you'll be there to answer questions <laughs> well i'll be able to talk to people maybe not answer questions brilliant thanks so much for joining Thank you, me Susie. Bye. so that's it for another action-packed show with ben and Susie. yes and on next, next time's podcast next time's podcast uh we will have reviews of three sharp shorts on at ovo as Maltings well as, Art Theatre. Yes, Maltings Art Theatre. As well as Fugue, which is on at the Maltings as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dealing with Claire, which is on at the Abbey Theatre. And so you can find the details for buying all of those tickets in the podcast description and on the St Albans Podcast website. Indeed, there will be links to everything. So all that remains for us to say for today is uh, thank you very much to you, Ben. Uh, thank you to you, Susie. And thank I was you the to producer our... today, so we don't have to thank Danny. Um... <laughs> thank you to all of our guests. And thank you to the Hearts Advertiser for supporting the podcast. See you next time. Bye. The Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. Produced in association with the St. Albans Podcast. 
For more St Albans podcasts, check out stalbanspodcast.com for full details on all the podcasts available and how to subscribe. To get in touch with The Theatre Show, email theatreshow at stalbanspodcast.com. The St Albans Podcast Theatre Show, out every fortnight on Thursdays.